Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Build Amazing Things Securely. I'm Laura Belmain. Now we are in season two, and so we're upping the ante, making sure that we get those guests that you really want to hear. And today I'm quite excited. Um, I've got a guest, Lachlan. Uh, now, I didn't used to call Lachlan Lachlan because he's a friend from a time where we called each other silly things on the internet. Uh, but we've all grown up. We've all had serious jobs. And now Lachlan is here today to talk about his roles that he's in now and the journey he's been on. Um, so Lachlan, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here, Laura. Uh, for those who can't see, because, you know, this is an audio podcast and it's delighting me no end, uh, Lachlan's actually holding his mic karaoke style. So if you were going to put a little mental image to this, you know, he's he's pretty much on the stage ready to belt out the power ballads. Um, but before we get to that, um, so who are you as a human? Well, uh, as you said, my name is Lachlan, um, but some people call me by my silly name, Scooch. Um Scooch is actually, in fact, still what people call me. So maybe I'm still a little bit sillier, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I'm a security engineer. So uh, when we first met, I think Laura uh, must have been at KiwiCon many, many years ago. Um, you know, I had started, I think, being a uh, security consultant and doing pen testing and stuff like that. Um, but then eventually I moved countries, moved to Australia from New Zealand and uh, started working as a security engineer here in Melbourne. Um, and yeah, I sort of describe myself as a person who... Uh, likes to do things creatively um, and like, you know, wants to be aware of the world that's going on around me, like whether that's the wider industry or whether that's like the organization that I'm a part of. That bigger picture, I think, is really what drives me and what keeps me interested in uh, security and also satisfies my creative desires, to be honest. I like doing creative things in my spare time. You know, I like playing music and making music and mucking around. So, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Um, now, what I like about this is that was a really lovely understated description, but you have a really fancy title. Like you've moved over to Australia and now, now you've got fancy titles. What's your actual title right now? Um, my actual title right now is uh, Head of Application Security or Head of AppSec. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it is quite a long-winded title. And, you know, being a member of the industry, as I'm sure, uh, you know, you've experienced yourself, I have feelings about all these different titles that we come up with. Speaking of silly names, aren't the silliest names, I think. Sometimes those titles that they put on those JDs and cards. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I actually think there's some value in us chatting through that today because, you know, we, we have all these wonderful guests on the show and everyone has these really lofty titles. And when it gets a really lofty title, I then make them tell me what their first job was so that we all feel like normal mortals. Um, mm. But... You know, these titles don't mean anything. And I think the thing we overlook sometimes, and, you know, as a company founder, um, I find it fairly hilarious is people are like, well, what's my job title going to be? And I'm like, well, let's make something up. Because mm. that's what they are. They're, they're made up labels. So you've gone from being, though, a security consultant in a relatively small country. You know, I love my country dearly, but we're tiny to now being a head of application security for a much larger organization. Um so I'd love to dig into how your world has changed. So what, what type of things were you doing as a consultant and what do you do now as a head of application security? What's the big difference there? Is it the same thing to be a consultant as it is to be the head of security? Mm, that's a really good question. And I think something that's on like definitely everyone's minds who do a career change. I think there's sort of two major components to it. I think the first one is, you know, as a consultant, right, you're working as part of a business model that is consultancy, you know, and so the way that you do the work and the way that you conduct yourself and uh, 
the timelines and the deliverables and how the writing happens um, is quite different to working in a different business model. And then, like you said, you know, I'd started in consulting doing pen testing and uh, working in the more offensive security space. When you move into an organization doing internal security engineering, uh, you know, you're not, obviously your technical, your technical activities do change somewhat, but um, it's really a perspective shift. It's like the fundamental why, you know, the business model is the how, you know, how you deliver, how you go about that stuff and what's the motivations. And then the why is really, you know, the, the, the organizational activities and the BAU as they call it. Um, and uh, that, that really drives those two combinations, I think. And the biggest thing that's changed, I'd have to say, would be, I think it's the social interaction that's changed most, which is really interesting that I think I'd say that because I've obviously have learned lots of different technical things, you know, the things I never even thought that I would learn shifting into that sort of role. Um, but I think the thing that sticks out to me the most is actually just how I interact with people on the day to day when we do, you know, the BAU or working inside of the org with other people, how we work together is, is quite fundamentally different. And yeah, that's the biggest difference. To yeah, me. I, I think we need to dig into some of these things because I, you know, there's a lot of romanticism out there, right? About being a penetration mm. tester. Most you know, definitely. Every, every forum is full of people going, hey, mm -hmm. I want to be a pen tester. How do I do oh, that? Oh my God, so much. Um, if we had as many people wanting to be in the AppSec space inside internal teams, we'd all be very, very happy. But no, everyone mm. wants to break stuff. So how has your perspective changed? Let's start there. And I'm going to come back and ask you in a little bit about that, that social side and what's different. So what's your perspective like? Was it, did you see organizations the same way as a pen tester as you do now that you're on the inside of them trying to do security? And what's changed? I think, uh, I think the thing that I've noticed the most and the thing that I, the biggest change for me, uh, tying, I guess, off that social situation sort of thing again, is that uh, as a pen tester, you know, you kind of think of companies in the abstract and organizations and groups of people in the abstract. You're focused on this idea, the idea being the client, you know, and um, the client wants something and you have a service that you can provide. And so you form a relationship and draw up a statement of work and work with them to deliver that. But I think um, when you're in an organization, you know, the experience is not different. It's in fact, in fact, I think the working model, I mean, it really depends on the organization, but it can be more or less complex in that regard, like how you how you do the business. And I think it's really the social sensations that you get and interactions that you have, uh, you know, really change the feelings and motivation that you get. So if you're a pen tester, you know, and you wake up every morning and you go into work and you work on your web app pen test, um, you know, you're, you know, spending a lot of time in burp, you know, you're looking at, you know, doing the same things over and over again to a certain degree, um, you know, because that is the nature of, you know, commodification of, of services and stuff like that. And pen testing is one of those services. You're destroying and James dreams here, Scooch. <laughs> all of these baby pen testers are like, no, it's, it, don't say it's so. But Deb, carry on. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I feel the same way. You know, like I, I, I think. With, I mean, romanticism isn't exclusive to the security industry nor technology either. Um, and I definitely think combating it is part of it. It's not that pen testing and um, consulting and stuff isn't bad. It's just that um, there's a lot of things that aren't really talked about. And then the better question is, if it's not consulting or pen testing, then what is your other option? So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, like when you're working in a, in, a, in, a, in a regular organization internally. I really feel like, you know, your average day of work isn't like wake up, you know, do pen testing on Fridays, we write reports kind of thing. Uh, it's more like, you know, you wake up and you, you, you are forced to consider 
not the client, but everyone around you and what the organization does. Um, you know, you're not, you're not, uh, abstracted as much. And, uh, you know, you can be more or less empowered depending on the situation that you're in in the organization, which means I feel like, yes, maybe internal engineering to some degree, uh, not in terms of job security, but in terms of experience is a bit less regular than perhaps being mm. a consultant and this, uh, and, you know, different strokes for different folks and everything and all of that. Um, but, um, you know, and the risk might be slightly greater in terms of, you know, the social interaction and what you're doing day to day. But essentially, I feel like working internally, uh, brings me personally and why it works for me is it brings me personally, uh, a sense of reward and, um, fulfillment that I previously didn't really understand or discover when I was working as a consultant. Mm. And I think that's just due to that complexity. You know, you've got so much more to consider. You can think a lot deeper. You can build long-term relationships. You're not limited to, you know, one month engagement, two week engagement, stuff like mm. that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I think that's, that's a bit I missed when I switched back from being a pen tester was the, the sense that you could change things. That, um, mm. But it was a complex beast. You know, you're, you've got a lot of people and a lot of systems to work with. Now, you work in a, a very complex environment at the moment. Um, you're uh, at a telco. Um, mm. So tell us about that. How does AppSec work in a telco? Are there many apps? You know, I, I've never worked in one before. So I'd love to know what technology looks like inside the box. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, in terms of tech stack, you know, uh, we obviously have, first of all, for delivering two kinds of services, the first one being our internet services, you know, to home addresses. So in Australia, we use the NBN network to do that. In um, New Zealand, of course, we've got Chorus and stuff like that. And uh, what we do is, you know, we have point of presences, um, you know, around Australia, which then connects into what we call point of interconnects, POIs, throughout um, different localized locations in Australia. So we have to run our own, you know, point of presences to provide our internet to those POIs and then to our customers. Um, and then we have our mobile services. So, you know, we're, I guess, what's considered an MVNO, uh, which is actually, I can't even remember off the top of my head what the V stands for, but hopefully... <laughs> Someone knows. It's a small mobile reseller. You know, we don't roll our own infrastructure. We yeah. use a wholesaler and that wholesaler is Telstra. Um, okay, and cool. Since they're also our, um, our parent organization, um, belong as a sub brand, I suppose. And oh, okay, cool. uh, so in doing that, you know, we don't necessarily need towers. We don't have to have radio technicians or anything like that, thankfully, because that would be such a pain, I think, um, <laughs> for all of us, um, you know, which is great. Uh, we mainly focus on, you know, the actual um, services you use to manage your your mobile services. So, like, you know, we, we measure the amount of data that people do. We get that from our wholesaler. You know, we're managing stuff like billing. We're managing stuff like onboarding and offboarding, uh, SIM, port in, port out. Um, you know, recently, uh, your regulatory requirements came in around multi-factor authentication, um, you know, and we're doing the, the customer experience, I think is really hugely important to us because we live in an age where similar to New Zealand, right? You know, uh, because we only have a few sort of duopoly, triopoly situation when it comes to mobile networks and we have a, you know, often a public infrastructure oriented, uh, physical internet connectivity, uh, presence in the country, whether that's through NBN or chorus, you know, where these companies and this business model is competitive is mostly on price and marketing. That's really the different, and then the differentiation points um, at similar prices are really, you know, how consumers choose which mobile provider they want to be with. So hence our tech stack is basically like we're 
all in on, you know, running Next.js. We're all in on running a really upfront, really polished front end customer experience and then trying to do a seamless, as seamless as we can, order and uh, order and like browsing and marketing experience as possible. Uh, customer support is also very important, I might add. It's probably one of the other most important things. <laughs> Look, I, I this delights me in a way because, you know, even as a technical person, I think I, I willfully ignore my knowledge of the tech and that, you know, we've got all these different brands and like some part of me just genuinely wants to believe they're all separate companies and they all do their own thing and that there's a difference between them. Um, not the fact that I'm just naturally drawn to some colors and not others and I liked their website better. Um, so, well, top tip for the audience, you know, the only key differentiator, particularly in the Southern Hemisphere for your um, internet experiences is the brand. So you can choose well on price. So please continue to do so. But outside of that, we've got, so we've got this nice customer experience. We've got um, the slick tech stack to, to really drive that up. And you've got your good customer support part on there. So how many apps is it really that are in your fold? Do you have an idea off the top of your head? Is it quite a small portfolio of big things or are they quite dispersed? Hmm. A good question. Um, I think, you know, similar to a lot of other businesses that have gone through some form of digital transformation or, you know, have just been around for a while, we have, you know, some legacy code, we have some legacy apps, we have a monolith, you know, it does exist. And then we also have, you know, to support our amazing front end, you know, we also need a back end that's, you know, modern and fast and has all the, the niceties that you'd expect because, um, you know, obviously all that data has to come from somewhere. And another thing that's really important for, for marketing oriented companies is data, you know, not just in the sense of going between front end and back end, but measuring the data and analyzing the data and all that kind of stuff to do marketing activities. Um, you know, which I've got to be perfectly honest, you know, I'm not a huge marketing guy as a lot of security people are. I feel like, um, you know, marketing is something that I'm not super enthused about, especially when it comes to privacy concerns. But I think, you know, at, uh, at Belong, you know, I've learned to make peace with that and understand that, you know, um, there are some things you have to do to be competitive as a business in the sort of world that we live in. And I'm trying to strike a, I guess, an epistemological balance between the two. Um, yeah. And so we run a lot of Java in our monolith, basically, and we use a lot of AWS. Um, marketing is, you know, a very time oriented situation as well. So being able to run campaigns and release new features on schedule and on time is also important to us. So in terms of the total number of apps, we tend to run a set of like semi microservices. They're not true microservices, but kind of split apart from a monorepo. Um, mm -hmm. I think we have about mm, maybe like 15 for backends. Uh, we have, you know, different apps again for frontends, sort of micro frontends. Um, not the true micro frontends pattern as some frontend developers <laughs> might know, but similar, similar to that sort of situation. Um, and then, uh, there's some miscellaneous stuff that we have to run for things like doing identity checking and things like being compliant with, uh, ACMA's regulations. That's Australia's communications and media authority. Um, yeah. So I'd say all that we're probably looking at somewhere between, you know, um, Probably 30 to 40, maybe 20 to 25 to 35 apps. Yeah, somewhere around. Mm. There's quite a lot of diversity in that, then. You know, we're talking about different ages, different architecture types, different app approaches to software. Um, while you've got Java in that monolith, you've also got other languages out in the other components you're building. Um, that's, that's quite a lot to manage. And then you've got compliance requirements on top. And as a, a telco, you know, those are quite rigorously enforced um, things. 
do you have to do a lot of integration on top of this? Are there, you know, other systems from other organizations you have to connect with or are you able to operate quite isolated? No, I think um, that's a that's a really good point. I think, um, you know, as mentioned, the business model for an MVNO or a telco rather even in countries like ours is that uh, you have to integrate. You, in fact, don't have a choice, right? Because you don't own the infrastructure all the way to the customer. So you're going to be using a provider no matter how hard you try, unless you're really huge and you decide to, you know, I don't know, pay a lot of money, millions of dollars to run a cable somewhere, you're going to be stuck. So you have to integrate. Integration for us is really the bread and butter. So I'm really glad you brought that up, you know. So whether it's, whether it's with our wholesale provider, you know, who's giving us our uh, our mobile network connection, which is Telstra Wholesale, you know, a division of Telstra that also provides services to other competing mobile brands, um, MVNOs, I guess, is, uh, and also NBN Co. You know, when we provision a connection to a customer, we want to get them set up on NBN so they can use the internet. You know, we have to integrate with them. So yeah, it's all over the place. We have a lot of integrations. This, uh, you know, I, I'm going to assume then, because this is so many things that you have a team of like a million people to support all of this. So uh, <laughs> what, what's the reality? So, you know, one of the things that we love to do is in different areas, look at how many engineers are involved in a, an organization and then how many people are in the security space and what does that look like as a ratio? So what, what's it look like in your world? Mm. I am, uh, in terms of, you know, total security team, we're like five, maybe six to uh, about, I say, somewhere between 100 to 150 engineers. So we're looking at maybe, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite small, I guess, but I feel like people always say it's quite small. I think, to be honest, to be honest, I actually think it's adequate at the oh. moment. I, think it's uh, I like that. That's strong. I mean, I know that's not something that my boss is going to like, you know, for me to to say, but like, it's the truth to a certain degree because, you know, we always want more resources. I feel like that's the mm. nature of an of, of like an, a company, you know, in uh, in the market and stuff. And so we always want more resources. So we always want to say that we need more, more, more. But the case is that theoretically, in my mind, there's an equilibrium, right? Like there's mm. what the business does and how big it is and what it needs to achieve with technology. And then for that amount, those needs, right, there's an appropriate amount of security or a mature amount of security. And yeah. you can go, you know, you can go above and beyond that if you want. But theoretically, there somewhere should be an equilibrium. And I'm not going to say that we are at the, that equilibrium because I imagine it's always shifting because organizations yeah. like people are dynamic. But um. I feel like, you know, in my technical team, you know, so AppSec for me is really what it means and belongs team is AppSec is the technical security engineers. Yeah. So we also have, you know, our GLC and, yeah. um, and you know, our, our sort of CISO and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, those are more, you know, board and executive interfaces and strategists and also, you know, risk and compliance and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I really like that you have this strong opinion on this because, you know, very few people talk very concretely about, you know, do I have enough and five to 150, you know, for, for there's many organizations listening out there who don't have five. Um, so mm. it's great that that's that adequate point. Um, so which bits work well at five? And if you got to have a little bit more, what would you do with it? Is is there a bit that's left behind, but you're okay with it right now? Hmm. I think, um, you know, I mean, and I think, uh, you know, there's lots of different frameworks that cover this kind of problem, you know, in the CSF and in fact, lots of fantastic books, including yours, uh, which, you know, talk a lot about sizing and like, uh, 
you know, what's appropriate and what, what, what you want to attack and do first. And then, of course, the, 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 the other side of that coin is what do you choose to not do? What do you choose mm-hmm. to leave behind? Um, and I think in my mind at Belong, you know, we really, we really have a situation where we want to move beyond the basics, you know, and I think when I refer to basics, I'm referring to more traditional risk-oriented technical security, like vulnerability management. Mm. I know people are going to shake their fists at me for calling vulnerability management technical, but like, I mean, it is. That data has to come from somewhere, and depending on how complex your your you know your deployments are and your code bases and your SDLC, it can be um, it can be a really difficult task. And mm. I think for us, we want to take. The, the path to doing more than the basics is to make the basics better and seamless. And it's, to be honest, that is more of an organizational and people problem than it is a technical problem. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I'd say. In terms of what we've, what we've had to sort of leave behind and what I think would be fixed more effectively if we had more resources, I think it would just be walking down that path to seamlessness a little bit quicker than we are now, you know, moving towards that brighter future that we all hope and dream of in the uh, security engineering space. I, I really love this because this has overlaps actually with UX, right? Um, and actually what you mentioned uh, about your business needing excellent customer support. Excellent customer support is about having a good seamless experience. It's about, you know, it mm. doesn't cause you pain to do it. And good. I don't think we spend enough time in security thinking about how much pain is in the processes that we try and you know put into our dev teams into our, our projects and the idea of you know the more resource leads to more seamless experiences i think is really cool i think many of us could take some lessons from that and and focus on not just are we getting the job done but how how is it that that happens is it is it working for us or is it causing pain or friction mm-hmm. um have you got an example of a process that you're particularly proud of? I love to give people a chance to brag about something. I know you're not the type you would naturally do it, so I'm going to just try and force you to because we're on, you know, being recorded. No, that's that's perfectly fine. Um, I think something I'm proud of recently, you know, that we did is um, I mentioned before that, you know, there's um, ACMA and, you know, multi-factor authentication, MFA. So recently, you know, the regulator released um or rather not that recently anymore, it's been a few months, but the regulator, you know, uh, you know, put out an RFC maybe about a year and a half ago now about um, requests for comments, you know, asking the industry, you know, we want to do, uh, we want a better authentication, right? Because I think um, as uh, lots of people in the security community are aware, one of the number one ways of uh, attacking people is supply chain attacks or third-party attacks. And especially if it's a utility, especially if it's internet-related, if you can sim-swap someone or if you can compromise their, you know, their connectivity, um, then you've got sort of keys to the kingdom when it comes to data, really, and getting impersonation, you know. Mm. So they wanted to, uh, you know, legally enforce uh, through, through, um, as sort of through the through this sort of legislative instrument framework that they have here in Australia to make telcos do multi-factor authentication, and um, it's a really long and, and and I could talk for endlessly about it since it was a whole <laughs> obviously legal consultation process and then a build process and a compliance process, but ultimately I think um, what I was most proud of is that towards the end there you know we we got to nail down you know how do you meet the bridge between technical knowledge and SME technical knowledge, subject matter expert stuff and the uh, the compliance side of things. I feel like this is one of the problems that, again, we all want to know the answer to, you know, how do we bridge the gap and how do we make yeah. the knowledge easy to understand and, you know, 
so for in our case, we're liaising with um, our legal team, you know, our, our, our counsel. And then uh, also, uh, you know, I'm working usually with um, a, t a technical team in Belong or a product owner um, to, you know, check if something's compliant, namely around authentication flows. So we had a situation recently where we, um, you know, we redid uh, our, our mobile apps authentication work uh, sort of flow and oh. we wanted to make the experience more seamless for the customer, right? But we also have to have it remain compliant with the legislation that's been created. And um, it was a great experience for me uh, working with the, the product owner because, and, and the technical SMEs, because we really, I think, we talked a lot and, you know, we ranted and raved at each other for a bit, initially thinking, I think, that we were in disagreement with each other. But then um, after planning it out, we created a really great process, you know, just on a Miro board, on a mind map that really took, you know, all the points of legislation, broke down the legalese and what was, what what wasn't. And then, um, you know, went through this compliance process um, internally, you know, just to, to sort of um, check our compliance. And obviously, ultimately, you know, the legal the legal team is the final say and you know those kinds of activities um but it's um i was proud that we were able to find a way to bridge that gap and to use a more human kind of process to do it it wasn't like a technical checklist it wasn't like a pci thing it was like here's a miro board here's the instructions you know take all the views and the flows you know map mind map them to the different sections and then for each section there's like a hey does it have this are you doing this and then if you need references go here and creating a really human process that made that experience i think more seamless and enjoyable was something that i was truly proud of i was really i really enjoyed that experience that that's a that's a really great example um what i like well i spend a lot of time in compliance regimes myself um trying to negotiate you know the various ones from state ramp and fed ramp to ones like you know for the telco industry of what do they require us to do and there's a lot of standards and they try and do the same things but they often use very different wording and uh, you know there's a lot to, lot to navigate and i think there is something very good to be said for the process you went through where it was broken down and made more human because compliance that doesn't feel human, it doesn't feel achievable or that you can't navigate without, you know, conflict um, is never going to be met. So that that's a really, that's a cool thing to have achieved. Um, and I'm sure there's folks out there who are navigating compliance regimes of their own who perhaps could go and start doing a bit of a mind map of their own, breaking it down in a way. Maybe that could be your homework for the week team. Um, right, looking at the time, we've had a really good chat, Lachlan. I'm just going to ask you one question, though, um, to put you on the spot and to round us out. So you've been doing it a few years um, and, you know, you've, you're having a, an amazing career. It's fantastic. What do you think is going to be the big change in the next five years in AppSec? What's what's coming? Mm, really good question. I think... Tying back to, I think, what we talked about at the start, in fact, organizations really, you know, organizations and security are changing. And, you know, I think people have, you know, first it was cyber and then now we have, you know, um, you know, we have like, you know, uh, supply chain and all this kind of stuff. And a lot of those kind of seemingly are buzzwords to a certain degree. But I think what it really says is, you know, where a few years ago, we really started the process at which security became a mandatory thought for all organizations not mandatory in the sense that like they're legally enforced and required to do it obviously that varies country to country but um that board members and people who start technology businesses that use technology and you know vast majority of them in fact are probably nearly impossible to use it make a business without technology today but um you know they know about it they have to think about it they they know it's an, an important thing to consider at the very least and where we're really shifting seeing the shift i think and where it's going to continue is that 
we are going to start to understand what that uh, that balance is, that equilibrium is that I mentioned earlier. You know, we've got this, you know, sort of uh, seesaw or, you know, equilibrium we're trying to find between, you know, we've got our frameworks. We know how to do security. You know, we know how to get people who know security, how to hire for it and how to train for it. And, um, you know, we've got people who offer consulting services. We know how to go to if we can't do it ourselves. Uh, and maybe we want to build it ourselves. I think it's really that at the at the board and the executive level, at the organizational level, and somewhat to do with the legislative level as well. Um, we're really going to discover, you know, over the next sort of five years, I think, what the public, obviously, what the public thinks is appropriate security, you know, and that's going to influence a lot of legislation kind of stuff and a lot of um, government sort of things. But like, uh, we're also going to discover, you know, uh, you know, what businesses think the appropriate security model is. You know, I think there's a lot of frameworks out there and some of them have different varying ideas on the nuances, not so much about like the what you need in the basics, but about the how and the why. Mm. And I think we're going to see a lot of evolution in that area. And we're hopefully as an industry going to mature a bit more because we're still quite young and get to a better picture and better place around what is what what is the de facto, what is acceptable. Um, and so much so that hopefully... Uh, I mean, I'm being, I'd like to prefer to be an optimist here that, you know, it improves security uh, everywhere. And uh, we think about it and consider it more in our consumer decisions and businesses think about it more when they operate and governments think about it more when they legislate. Um, That's a really great way to round this out. And, you know, for those listening at home, maybe that's a question to ask yourself for your users, for whatever amazing technology you're building what is their expected level of security and what would be acceptable? And I think that many of us, if we really dug into that, would learn something uh, just by having those conversations. Uh, lots to think about here. Look, look, really super amazing to have you on. Um, and I'm thrilled to uh, see you going from the pen test days that we all started out in and now doing such amazing things at uh, Belong um, and to whatever comes next. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure. And just to round out, team, remember you have to do all those things. That's how the world works. We're supposed to like and subscribe and comment on things. So, you know, find something to like and subscribe and comment on. That's a good idea. And if you're looking to bring some AppSec to your world, remember you can sign up at onehourappsec.com and join up to pledge one hour of every sprint to do some AppSec in your world. So whether you're in Taipei or in Timaru in New Zealand, it doesn't matter. Every team can do a little bit of AppSec. Join me next time. I'll see you soon.